Welcome along to the Wise Men Say podcast where we have a special for you of part one of two parts with uh, Sunderland legend Niall Quinn. We're splitting this with the Rock Report lads. You're going to hear part two from them. They're going to concentrate on uh, Niall's time as chairman at the club. But we're going to talk about the playing career and try and fit in as much in this next half an hour as we can. Uh, we're back at the University of Sunderland as well. Good to be back here mm. and using those amazing facilities. If you want to do sports journalism, look no further. Right. Glad to have you along, Niall. Thank you. Yeah, Got really a lot of trying covering in the next half an hour. And we're going to start right from the beginning um, when you signed uh, from Manchester City. You'd obviously been at Arsenal before that. You were how old at this time? 32-ish? 30? No, I was 29. 29. There's yeah, research just, for you. I've, a, got yeah. like, I've got pages full of research <laughs> here. And then I thought I didn't even have his age no, on when he fine. signed. Yeah, no, I was 29. I'd had a cruciate injury um, a couple of years earlier. I'd missed a World Cup and I'd come back into the City team. I wasn't in favour. Uh, Paul Walsh and Uwe Rosler were the starting two. But we had a very bad start to the season. Um I think we won a game against Bolton I think we lost six or seven in a row and they put me in for the Bolton game and we won so felt good and started to get it back again but ultimately we came up short and by the end of the season we were relegated and I'd had my cruciate uh, the club obviously would have to you know a lot of changes were going to have to happen and I was told if I found a club I could go couldn't find a club and eventually I went to uh, Thailand and I went to uh, Kuala Lumpur and spoke to the people at Selangor. I actually ended up playing a, a friendly match for them on, on my trip, which none of that would happen these days. <laughs> and uh, they offered me a contract and I um, brought my wife out and we were all set to sign for, for Selangor in Kuala Lumpur when Peter Reid rang me and said, get yourself up to Sunderland. And that was a, a lifeline for me because I'd have been ending my international career. I'd have been ending, uh, you know, I suppose, significant time of my life playing in the top flight and, and what was the, by then Premier League football and I was giving it up for the, the, the backwaters and of did Malaysia. you uh, you made peace with this at this point you'd come to terms with this almost. well I, I I had had the bad injury you see so people in those days when you had a cruciate didn't quite believe that you could uh, you could get back to where you were and I found it really hard to get a club and so now if I had an agent it might have helped but I, I steadfastly refused all my life to have an agent <laughs> if I made mistakes I wanted to make my own mistakes I think that helped me in, in becoming chairman or wanting to become chairman that I was able to believe in myself that I could do it but anyway going back to that point um, I came home from Malaysia getting ready to, to go back out and Peter Reid rang me and went come up here you don't want to be going to Malaysia there's a bit of life left in you yet and I, I drove up met him and uh, we did the deal and I was delighted it was a, a big pay cut from where I was at, at uh, Man City but I was delighted to get that chance and I repaid Peter by doing the other leg and getting a cruciate <laughs> in, 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 in my fifth game I think well before, you, before just before that happened I mean you, you started you come off the bench in the first game against Leicester you played mm-hmm. well I remember being in the full end as a kid and I remember hitting the crossbar and then we went I to Forest I got disallowed as well yeah, the, did, did yeah you? the referee disallowed one <laughs> and yeah. then we went to Forest midweek uh, yeah. I mean that Forest team got relegated but that was a good Forest team and, and we won 4-1 yeah. Um, now you, you great, scored great finish on that. Yeah, one of them bounced off his shin and flew yeah. in the net, didn't it? Um, but th- this was a time when Sunderland fans were maybe starting to believe in Peter Reid because we'd been in the in the Premier League, or in the top division in 1991. I think we won two away games all season against the two against mm-hmm. the side that finished bottom and the side that finished third bottom. We'd done them four-one. You scored two. We had players like yourself. Kevin Ball, Paul Stewart, Tony Corton, young players, Mickey Gray took them a bit in that first half, Craig Russell and Bridges come on off the bench. Mm-hmm. What did you think the team dynamics were like at that point? Oh, well, it was good. I was thrilled, obviously, to get the chance to, to play. I knew there was a, an exuberance around the place because of the promotion. Um, when you think a year before that, you know, Peter was brought in to keep them in the championship and 
keep the club right in, from a from a tough position. You remember Shea Given came and, and was unbelievable at that period. So so Sunderland was starting to make a name for itself, and I was thrilled to get up there. Uh, I loved straight away the warmth that was in and around the club. You know, old Roker Park where we would get changed and you know head up to the training ground. Uh, if you were injured with the physio at the time, Nigel Carnell, he'd make you run up to the training ground, which was uh, real old-fashioned stuff <laughs> because you 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 wouldn't you wouldn't say you're injured if you could possibly at all. Um, it was maybe back in the Bill Shankly mode of of tactics, but uh, I really bought into it and loved it and got off to a half decent start, got a couple of goals and um, felt I was playing my way into to being an important part of the team. And then disaster struck against Coventry very early in the season. So uh, my memory of that was Nigel Carnell had left the club or abruptly the day before and we'd brought in a, a physio that nobody knew called Gordon Ellis, who became an integral part of my life afterwards. But uh, he ran on the field when I did my cruciate, lovely hot August evening or September evening. And uh, he ran on with a duffel coat, his, his head hidden, and I was going, what's up with you? I didn't even know him. And he went, I'm on the sick from the prison. It was on tele. I think yeah. it was a West Ham game. And it was on telly. I think, I think it was. It was a nil-nil draw or something. I think I remember. Yeah, it was that it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, he, um, and he turned out to be the most important mm. non-player, if you like, or non-coach that, that I've, I've ever worked with. He, he, he was brilliant for me because, as I said, I did my cruise shit at that time. And Gordon nursed me through believing in myself after the second one that there was a career left for me in Sunderland. And uh, we spent so much time together, and, and you remember the time together when you're in the dark periods and when you're in the periods of, you know, non-belief. And he helped me really get myself going and become, a, a, I suppose, a more driven person. That there was something left for me at this club, and I came back a little bit early from 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 that um, because again relegation happened. But I, I wanted to do something about it. Like I, I played in a derby four and a half months after having a cruciate operation. You know, it's madness. It's bonkers when you look at it now. But um, as Bobby Saxon would say regularly, just stand up there and head it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, f I found actually when I was looking at your injury and I found something from the Irish Times and this has been retrieved from 1997 mm -hmm. where obviously I don't think you thought the injury was bad at the first time. So this is talking about you getting called up for the Ireland squad. So this is September the 23rd, 1996. Mm -hmm. um, contrary to initial fears, the knee injury sustained by Niall Quinn in Sunderland's win against Coventry does not appear to be quite so ominous. The Republic of Ireland must be considered very doubtful for the forthcoming World Cup qualifier against Macedonia. He has not ruled himself out of contention for that game. Um, Quinn said, I am back up to Sunderland in the morning to get a scan, but I don't think it's as bad as the last time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a very, very optimistic person. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it was, it was devastating news because I felt I was on the cusp of something here with Sunderland and it came crashing down when the result of the scan came through and said it was gone. Uh, the man who had built my f repaired my first one, uh, Mr. Dandy, he'd retired uh, down in Cambridge and he wasn't available. So I was very worried. And a man called Mr. Weber was uh, doing cruise ships um, down in North Yorkshire. And I was told he was the man to go to. And Gordon was responsible for that. And we went down to Mr. Weber and I was shell shocked, thought my career was over. Uh, I had, you know, I had sort of I nearly accepted it. I was all doom and gloom. I'd written to the PFA for my forms to see what did it mean when I quit. What what what's there for me? What do you know? What do I have to do legally wise to uh, to move on to the next career or whatever I pick? I was in a really bad place, but Mr. Weber did a great job as well on, on me, and uh, I didn't get back as well as I thought I might have said. I played too early and I took risks with it, but it was never quite right, and I and I, I had a, a little washout 
then Mr. Weber left and moved back to, to South Africa. So I had a third surgeon open me up. He said, look, uh, he had a look at the scans. And I said, look, I've, I, I'm, I don't want to open you up unnecessarily, but I think it mightn't be your cruciate that's causing you the problem. Would you mind if I had a little look in a keyhole surgery? And I had nothing to lose because I'd had it, I'd played against Oxford and missed a sitter here and the crowd all booed me. And I thought that was it. That was the moment when I felt the lowest here. And I thought, you know what, I... I'm not right. This, this is you're you're wasting your your time. This, this is you know. You is this what a fad approached you and? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, probably right. So I was playing that bad, but um, yeah. No, I I got spat at getting into the car. Yeah, but after a game, yeah, so that was a low point. It was a Norwich. I think it was Norwich. Was it no- sorry, it was, it was Norwich, Norwich, not Oxford. Yeah, you're dead yeah. right. Yeah, I went through a one on one, and yeah. I couldn't lift my yeah. leg properly to strike the ball. It, so I was fooling nobody. But Mr. Ball and, and Peter Reid was great. Having asked for the forms from the PFA, Peter Reid said, "Stop looking for attention." have another go we'll go down and see this man <laughs> you know that's the way it was in them days you know and uh, and so I said okay I'll give it one more shot with Mr. Bollin and Mr. Bollin uh, <laughs> you can imagine reading <laughs> stop looking for it so, so, yeah. no, that's it. so Mr. Yeah, Bollin yeah. Uh, said I wouldn't mind just having a little look in I promise you won't undo your cruise I don't think it's your cruise but I'm just a hunch and I came around and the same day and he said uh I'm keeping you in for another night. He said, but I'll sneak you out of here. I'll bring you for a curry later. And amazingly, the surgeon came in and said, yeah, I'm going to take him out for a couple of hours, even though I wasn't being discharged till the next day. And he brought me for a curry. And he said, I think there's a, a little bit of a growth on a bone there that's causing you a lot of problem. I'd love to open it up tomorrow and, and, and do it, keep you in. But if you want to go home, you don't. He said, it mightn't be it, but I think it is. So I kind of, well, go ahead, Mr. Bollin, you know. And uh, I came out of the operation and straight away I knew it was different. I knew there was something good here and then once I felt the train in the gym work and I say yeah this is good I'm going to be back I'm going to be fit and that's when I, I became this driven lunatic who wanted everything to happen in his career so well because time was running out I was definitely on my last chance um, and, and at that time Kevin Phillips was starting mm. to show the world that he uh, he was capable of something very special so you know despite the, the, the knocks and the bad luck of injuries him walking in the gates of the Charlie Hurley Centre instead of David Connolly because we all thought mm. my colleague from Ireland David Connolly was coming and the first thing we heard about Kev Phillips was he was working in Tesco's or something a few years earlier you know and so you imagine in a dressing room you're all kind of saying well what's all this about you know but jeez uh, boy did we did we, mm. <laughs> did we find out all about it, him it's, I mean, it's such an amazing sliding doors moment isn't it? because mm. without that operation there's no <laughs> Quinn and Phillips there's no Premier League there's no well there's no chairman of the football club that you don't it, perhaps the whole part of your life is it, yeah, eradicated probably that's a good way of putting it but I think Kev was a huge part of that you know the, the, the decision to buy Kevin Phillips the decision by Graham Taylor to allow him to leave you know uh, as an untried sort of uh, talent you know uh, I did it with Martin Waghorn in many respects you know but because we needed some money in at that time we got Leicester gave us a, a huge chunk of money and and, and half of me didn't want to do it but you know his, his salary rocketed and I felt a bit better when I spoke to his parents about it um, but do you know uh, fate is fate is, is, is an amazing mm. thing and if you believe in fate and if you push yourself as hard as you can and you practice really hard and your mindset is strong fate almost catches up with you and, and, and wants to come along for the journey so I believed everything was possible in those few years but I also had great fun during those few years because the the dressing room the Sunderland dressing room in that period was just unbelievable. It was the most incredible place to go to work every day and be part of. It was electric. And it wasn't just a bunch of players doing well, senior players uh, calling the shots and being bullies. 
it was the exact opposite. The young lads coming through were giving us more stick than we were meant mm. to be given to them. You had uh, the likes of Paul Thurwell, you know, I'll, I'll never forget Thur how, how cheeky he was. Um, you know, there was, there was a few, few funny stories, but the one I remember the most when Paul did break into the team, you know, uh, Paul played that day against Chelsea when we had yeah. a fabulous victory and uh, t to my dying day I'll never forget being out that night having a few drinks and the players were in great form we turned Chelsea over spectacularly life was great and uh, as good as the night was we were up in, in Seam and uh, Paul hadn't bought a drink you know so as the senior player I went hey Paul it's all very well now you're one of the lads now you got to buy your round I'll never forget Paul going I can't it's impossible Quinny I went mean, why is that you know and he went well my wallet is in here but Dennis Wise is still in that pocket beside it and I can't quite get my wallet out and I thought for a young kid in his first big moment to mm. be saying that in front of everybody and that just told you so if the young lads are like that mm. and they're all pressing to get in and, and take your place and if the senior lads are on their toes and, and, and being pushed by these guys you've, you've a wonderful ingredient or a set of ingredients like you know Bridgie Danny Diccio good players and, and you know Kev Phillips and I didn't have this for granted we couldn't mm. afford to go and have a couple well, of the bad most games. memorable game that in the season we won the league was a seven 0 against Oxford and you were neither you were Phillips playing that yes, game. Yes, that's right. And that's, and, uh, uh, yeah. It was amazing that day. Yeah, so 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 that that was the backup. And funny, if you look at England now, f loads of young players just fearless going through uh, a journey that's just just brilliant. That they're in the English football is in a, a great place now, and there's no room for the 31 year old, 32 year old hanging on anymore. So, uh, so so you know, I wanted it desperately, and a lot of things happened for it to. To, to fall that way that, that you know things went but the dressing room was vital I met Don Hutchinson really best dressing room he's ever in best time of his life all of us whenever we meet up met Alex Ray today oh, I'll never forget it man how good was it so much better than every other club you were ever at so when people I made the comment oh I learnt my trade at Arsenal became footballer at City and, and fell in love with Sunderland uh, Sunderland got under my skin it did for a lot more than me it did for all of the people at that time and um, it was a, a, an indomitable spirit but life in the North East was brilliant then you know, on yeah. the football front, Newcastle had a good team. I'm allowed to say that in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll cut that up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Newcastle had a decent team. They were qualifying for Champions League. We had a decent team. Borough as well. Yeah, Borough had a very good team under Robbo, and like Kev was winning the Golden Boot. You know, the times were good. The, the Prime Minister was our local MP. You mm -hmm. know, um, the Newcastle Falcons were, were a really good rugby team. There was lot. There was lots of of positives up here. Johnny Wilkinson, people like that were around, and uh, it was a great place to be. So, so it wasn't just that Sunderland as a football team made it a great place for me it was buying into the culture up here and, and being part of what was a really vibrant time just going back to be before it started to take off and that season when we got relegated the last game of Roger Park and everything almost just people forgot about it because we were in relegation trouble how important was it at that time in your opinion the move to the stadium of light well, a lot of people question was it the right thing to do because when, when you want to do something like that you want full glitz and glamour going ahead and everybody in great form but the you couldn't have wrote the script any worse really we'd get relegated and move into a new stadium so the new stadium at the time could hold 42,000 people uh, I think by the by the safety measures that were in in, in Old Roker Park by that stage we were down to nearly 20 yeah we were yeah and so what, how was how, you know we weren't always getting 20 in, in some of the matches and how are we going to turn this around having just been relegated but therein lies Sunderland <laughs> You know, a game against Ajax mm. and the ticket mess all yeah. if you remember <laughs> that one. And nobody knew actually how many were there, but it was full. <laughs> but everyone enjoyed it. People were proud of it. And then suddenly we're playing championship games 
and and there's a type of crowds that should be in the Premier League. Yeah. And, and what's happening today? What happened at Christmas time this season? Mm. You know that that in, incredible Sunderland love for their team comes up, and there was something tangible then to buy into as players. You know, and Phillips saw it mm. first night against City. He got two. Yeah. And he he and you got the first. I got the first. Lee Clark. The first I, think Lee, I think he got one. Lee Clark got the other. I think. Yes. Oh, he got yeah. one. Did he? Oh, sorry, he, he, yeah, I think he part. tells a story. Got two. We try and write Clarky out of everything. Uh, yeah. By the way, I, I <laughs> think <laughs> Phillips tells a story. He got two. Well, you know, remember the announcer on the he, night yeah, gave, gave Clark oh, called Phillips and Phillips <laughs> yeah. called the Clark. Something like that. I do remember it was that, but I just felt there was it was a turning point and fair play to Bob Murray and everything that went into to building that stadium and making it what it what it is and what it became. Questionable going from forty two to forty nine might have just yeah might have might have just been uh, a bridge too far. Peter Reid to this day will always say he had three players lined up mm. for that money. You know that would have made all the difference. Um, but you know, it, it's it, it, it it's been a pleasure to be on the playing journey on the administration side when I became chairman and, and what have you. Um, but anything we point to and the good days and the good times, it's always because of the connection and the fans mm. have bought into it and the fans are happy with it and if, if you're doing it for them they have you you're, you're lifted you're, 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 you're 10 foot tall walking around day to day go and collect the kids from school whatever it was I was doing in those days you know the pats on the back were coming left right and centre there's a game myself and Gareth always reference and I yeah. apologise to our well, listeners you wouldn't have played in it because you would have yeah. been injured well, our, our, yeah. our listeners will have heard us references so many times but it's a very important turning point in Sunderland's fortune particularly in that first season we lose 4-0 at Reading Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Reid fans want him out at this point we drop I think to like mid-table but fans want him out uh, the crowd for the game after that was something like 24,000 they dropped right down and Peter Reid um, takes out a lot of players and then start. he puts Mickey Gray left back mm-hmm. he puts in Craddock he puts in Williams he puts in Ray um, and he puts in Ad- uh, Alan Johnson mm-hmm. and he totally changed the yeah. dynamics of the team to suddenly this just attacking team because yeah, we, yeah. so, we were pretty a defensive side yeah, even, oh, we, even, we, we, we were happy I can remember um when I wasn't playing and I was injured and I was watching those games you know Paul Stewart uh, had this lone role when in the in the year that I got injured and the next year I wasn't there and it was just the ball was coming back into our half all the time there was nothing cohesive about how we would make progress mm. up the pitch retain possession and get some create some chances but then you're dead right um, he, he re-energised the team and took a punt at, at it and you know, in a funny way it's what Gareth Southgate kind of yeah Came 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 to believe was the, was the right way going forward, and suddenly the belief starts to come. You know, I think that's where uh, that's that's where you know you know you've got it going when when everybody feels I'm in a good thing here. This is this is something I'm going to work. And uh, people still work hard when their head isn't right and they're negative, but it never really results in anything um, rudimentarily positive. But you know th- that what hap- what started to happen there is the dressing room got real good. Bobby Saxon. A lot of people don't understand Bobby Saxon's role under Peter Reid. He, he he'd been in a documentary Premier Passion, mm. swearing like hell, and and that was fine. But d- undoubtedly the greatest coach I ever worked with. And I, in them days you didn't have sports psychologists, you didn't have Pilates teachers, you know, you didn't have your masseurs. Your your coach had to be everything. And Peter Reid would take some of that job, but Bobby Saxon took a lot of it. Bobby Saxon was the great greatest sports psychologist I've ever worked with, and he doesn't even know he was one. You know, he'd come into that dressing room, he'd lift you when you needed to be lifted, he'd kick you up the backside when you needed to be cactus, but always at the right time, and then he would be able to tactically get you to think about doing something better that you can do for the team as opposed to what you were serving up at that point. And his, um, his knowledge of the game, yes, 
a lot of people have that knowledge but his ability to get the best out of his players and have the tactics to, to present them to you know Peter Reid was, was the main man and he headed up like all organisations the, the main man heads up stuff but the untold work that Bobby did and every one of his players say the same thing you ask Bali, you ask any of those players you mentioned there that, that changed even ones that he sold who who, uh, who who probably disagreed that they should have been sold you know Sacco was just incredible mm. um, and, I, and I tell a story about Sacco this is sports psychology at its old fashioned best but I had a fitness test at the stadium it didn't work out uh, I tried to, to get myself ready. I was on my own in the stadium three or four hours before kickoff. Didn't work. Came into the dressing room afterwards. Was getting changed. Peter Reid came in and went, hard look, big man, get yourself right for next week. So I went, cheers, Gaffer. Yeah, sorry about that. And with that, anyway, um, Bobby Saxon came in, slammed the door. and went, oi, Billy Big Time now. So I looked and I went, sorry, Bob. And he went, oh, it's all Billy Big Time now. Fitness tests. You're reading the papers, you. And I went, Bob, I think that's out of order. I said, I've, I've, I've been out there. I can't even kick it. And that's when Bobby went, Niall, when did we ever ask you to kick it? <laughs> he said, just go up between the two tram lines and head it. And we were playing Middlesbrough the same day and I scored a header. Now, that to me is sports psychology at its mm. absolute best without actually going to college and getting the, the, the finesse around, the, around mm. the, the qualification. And that happened week in, week out, day in, day out with every player at that time. Players who you know as, as household names or some of them people would know, right? The, the Johnsons, the Summerbees. Every one of them to a man will say how uh, how great Bobby Saxton was, mm. and, and I don't think we should ever forget that. So, just a couple of uh, things people would want us to ask about uh, before we finish up. Um, getting to the playoff final, um, was there any ever doubt in your mind that we would kick on? Or you you did this famous thing where you went and spoke in front of the cameras and said it was important we kicked on. A lot mm. of players we've spoken to have said that was important for them. So maybe you were playing sports psychologist then, you didn't realise. Well, well I knew the dressing was brilliant. I knew we had somehow managed to throw that game away. I knew we had we had brought sixty thousand of the crowd down and that, that we were too big for this to happen to us, but we were in a good place, we were a good team. We just had that very bad start to the season which which meant we couldn't quite catch we always thought we'd get Borough but we didn't we didn't quite get there um, and to lose it the way we did you know uh, in total control of most of the game um, and then for Clive and Donker from Sunderland to cause all the damage <laughs> uh, it, it was um, yeah it was um, it, all, that, all that was was a message to, to the fans the, the, the 50 or 60 thousand that came down the the people at home everybody who'd been devastated and, and who were so built up to us getting back in it was it was to say we're, we're going the right way here and in actual fact Looking back, and I said this one time to uh, Lenny Lawrence, who, 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 you know, former chart manager, in some ways that year made us stronger yeah. in the three or four years afterwards when we did then hit the ground running and we romped away with the with the league the following year. Um, Bobby again that day, you know, uh, was vital to us in making us believe. So, so, so being able to, I didn't have this gift to go out there and say oh, I think we're going to. It was listening to Bobby, listening to Peter Reid, and and rather than disappointment. It was. It's just a matter of time, guys. We, we are so much better and so much more equipped than any side next year. No matter who goes down or whatever, you know, whatever way the the, the, the thing had worked, no matter who was relegated and who we we're playing against, we're going to win it. We're going to turn up and win it. Go and have a great summer, lads. But we all turn up, Charlie Hurley Centre, and we turn up to win the league next year. Mm. We had it won by March, and yeah. we had we had crippling injuries at the start of the mm. season as well. We had you know, John mm. Mullen came back well, in. We had catch up, didn't we? Yeah. But yeah. I mean, just just to, just to do, I yeah, know, sorry. I know, sorry. No, no, because so I, I, I know it's time. I know it's time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we, we, yeah, we need yeah. to mention. We need to mention this. We would would not be forgiven if we didn't mention consecutive two one wins at St James's Park. <laughs> now you mentioned how good Newcastle were at the start. So especially when Peter Reid walked in, there were my, 
in a different stratosphere to Sunderland yeah. on and off the field um, especially the first one at St James's Park in the rain yeah, it that, felt like it night. felt like for a Sunderland fan and I was there and I was 18 it just felt we've caught them <laughs> finally yeah it was an incredible night and of course um, everyone knows the story that uh, Root Hullet was mm. in thrown shapes trying to trying to be uh, the king and he felt there was a couple of jesters in there that um, were were upstaging him and so you know to, to drop Duncan Ferguson and Alan Shearer was uh, <laughs> was was an incredible bonus when did you hear get. about that oh, an, hour, an hour and a half before and there was rumour of it uh, but you know when the team sheet went up that was the, the, the real wow and it's actually true and then Peter Reid tried to play an IU lot come on get your minds off that <laughs> you know we got our own job to do but there's no doubt about it it was a boost mm. and, and you mentioned the rain the tropical rain that was there it was actually a really hot night with hot rain it was just I've never had a night like that uh, ever anywhere in the world and it, it may even have been called off at one stage. That's yeah. how bad it was. It the was, ball was, it was ridiculous. It yeah. was ridiculous. And, you know, to see Shearer and Ferguson tune tune gum <laughs> in behind the manager <laughs> while he was in the dugout being really cool, <laughs> um, you think, well, we've a chance here. You know, there's something wrong with, at, at mm-hmm. this place and, and we could really get it going. And, and also there was, I think they only gave us about 700 yeah, tickets did, or something. Yeah. And we, we felt a bit aggrieved by that. And, and they were up with the pigeons. Yeah. Up at the very we were, top. We were, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so when 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 we started, when the goals started to come and, and we did what we did, because they'd gone 1-0 up. Hmm. And when, when, when the two goals came, and, and I'll never forget re- reaching up, like, you know, and looking up and pointing to, to our fan. We were all there in the corner, mm-hmm. whether it was Kev scored or whether I scored. Um, you know, it, it was it was just very, very special. And very special afterwards, we all went back to, to a, a pub in Roker. Bob Murray and this board come in. They'd got so wet in their clothes that the kit man had given them kit. So our chairman come in dressed like a mascot, <laughs> you know. Um, our vice chairman, John Fickling, and even their wives were all dressed up in, in Sunderland gear because all their clothes had got destroyed. Uh, I'm told the Newcastle lot didn't even give them a towel. <laughs> uh, but that's what things were like then. There was a fierce competition, but it was wonderful. And then it kind of dawned on me the next day when I started looking at all the reruns and TV mm-hmm. that... Um, you know it was something very special because then Hullet got sacked yeah. and now you say geez, yeah we actually did something something pretty good there mm. now and, and again that was money, not money but that was that was mental strength in the bank for us that we could call on for, for weeks to come you know that we mm. were on a high from it he scored the yeah. winner the next year yeah, the next year I scored the winner. Yeah, that was not um, mention the penalty giveaway because Sorensen. Well, 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 somebody had to make Tommy Sorensen a star at this club, and I'd like to think I, I did. I did my my fair share of it. Um, yeah, that that was incredible, and you know, the interplay. I can remember it well with Alex and and Hutch was in around it, and the ball got played down the line, and and. I just knew where Mickey was putting it. And Julio did a nice little dummy for He Mickey did, yeah, which was important mm. in the whole thing. Now, I had headed the ball out at the other end, or I was involved in, in us defending, and I surprised myself at 35 years of age, wherever I was, by being able to actually get to the box <laughs> by the time the ball came in. But it worked out It worked out lovely for me, and um, obviously, you know, we held on. Tommy made sure of that by, with a great penalty save, just to add to the folklore the whole day. And... We, ha- we celebrated it was great went into the dressing room and came out of the showers to be told I was selected for a drug test only I'd just gone to the toilet <laughs> so they said sorry we have to wait and sit here with you so all our lads got changed went home on the bus I was left there they said to get a, a, a black taxi when I was ready that there'd be one outside the ground and it took about three hours and eventually I, 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 I peed into the bottle everything was good and uh, I walked out of the ground it was virtually empty 
at that stage looking to see where I would get a taxi and uh, Sir Bobby Robson came out just behind me and I didn't notice and he went son and I looked around I'd never met him I'd never spoken to him I was in awe of the man like most people in the country were and he went what a fine header he said it hurt me that's one of the finest headers I've ever seen son enjoy it and I shook hands with him and I went away thinking wow that's the, mm. that's the best bit of praise I've ever got for anything in my life and uh, I'll always be grateful to the lads that made it happen you know um, Mickey in particular for, for, for putting the ball in but um, that was the, that was I came home and, and you know all the lads were off on the beer at this stage they were long gone out the night out and I ended up going to, to, to Durham with, with my wife and, and I sat there like a school child mm. that had I don't know had seen Elvis <laughs> Presley or somebody you know uh, or Santa Claus and, and I sat in, in the pub in the, in the Shakespeare in Durham with a smile on my face all night and it wasn't because I'd scored the winner against Newcastle it was because Bobby Robson mm. told me it was one of the finest headers he'd ever seen. 